All right, people, good evening, and um, welcome to the third part of this series on the law, the law of karma, the law of karma, the law of karma. How many of us have been, how many of us have felt enlightened by the few things that we've spoken about over the past couple of weeks on the law of karma? How many of us have received enlightenment? How many of us have gained a newfound understanding? How many, of us have, how many of us have gained a newfound understanding? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Today we're going to continue from where we stopped last week. And um, last week we, we talked about a few things. We talked about a few things. We talked about well, we brought about different a number of laws. We talked about um, action and consequence. We talked about the multiplier effect. We talked about um, um, how when in negative when one is facing a negative karma, they have to perform a good that is beyond or above the evil that was done before. And we talked about how to sustain positive karma. One has to do more than what it did before. And we gave a few examples. We talked about how whatever it is you did last year was awesome. It was great. But in order to stay on top, not just in, in, in your walk with God, but in anything in life, in this new year, you're going to have to top your best of last year and keep on increasing in your proficiency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We began to introduce the conversation of, well, spiritual debt. And we talked about how Everyone has a, what we can call a spiritual bank account where acts of faith, acts of obedience give us what you can say or what you can call positive credits, right? And acts of disobedience, sin, sins give us negative credits or better said, give us debits pretty much. And if a person is debited on to the point where the account enters into a deficit, this is what we call spiritual debt. And we explained how it's one of the reasons why God sends his servants into different places in order to help to clear out the debts that people have or people have had and so on and so forth. So we're just going to, we're just going to continue from when we left off and um, just unpack the subject a little bit more. And before we just begin, I'm going to open the scripture for us. And I would like for us to interpret this scripture in light of some of the things that we're, we're, we've been talking about. We're going to start from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 41. And we're going to read until, well, 41 and 42. 41 and 42. Luke chapter 7, verses 41 and 42. Okay, so it says, Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Let me say that again. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. 
So he forgave the debts of both. Now, Jesus Christ asked, which of them will, will love him more? That is the person who forgave the debts. And 43 says, then Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Then Jesus Christ said, you have judged correctly. Let me just post it here for us so that we can, we can have it in the chat and we can read it by ourselves. But who wants to give a, give a shot at interpreting this very simple scripture based on some of the things we've spoken about? Who wants to go ahead and try to interpret the scripture? You can raise your hand. Who wants to try to interpret the scripture? The book of Luke chapter 7, verse 41 to well, 43. Who wants to try interpreting the scripture? If I call someone... Okay, let me see. Uh, um, hmm, Dan, why don't you go ahead and try inter interpreting the scripture? Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? What's the scripture talking about? just based on what we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks. Go on, Dan. I hope you can hear me. Very well. Okay, cool. So, um, when you were reading it, I, I'm just going to say the person that came to mind. Um, from what we've been learning so far, about uh, karma, seed, time, harvest, and the whole thing about forgiveness and forgiving someone their debts. I think one of the things the scripture is trying to communicate is that um, the person who was being owed, he had enough to let go of the debt of these two people. Like the fact he has forgiven them, it's not, he, he's basically saying, I'm going to pay your debt for you. Um, that's one. And then secondly, on the question that was asked, who would love him, who would love him more? Um, from, from, Peter's, from Peter's answer, what came to mind, um, I'm just going to say, whether 500, whether what's happened there is they've both been forgiven in full. They won't be forgiven 100%. So um, I would say they would both be equally grateful. That, that's, that's what I have to say. Indeed, 100%, 100%. Very well done. And someone just wrote on the, wrote on the chat box that I think What's happening here is grace, 100%. We're seeing, we're seeing a very clear and definitive picture of what grace looks like and the whole purpose of Christ coming into the world and what exactly it is that he has come to do. And when we talk about the blood of Jesus that pays our debt, right? Because spiritually speaking, blood is like currency. 
spiritually speaking. Blood is like currency. And when we talk about blood, when the Bible talks about blood, right? Blood is not just, blood is not just the red liquid that flows in our veins. From the biblical point of view and from the spiritual point of view, blood represents the very life force of anything. There's a scripture that says, you should not eat an animal with the blood still in it because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when we're talking about blood, we're also talking about life. And in a sense, if I say, if I say that, okay, let me ask us this question. What will you call the blood of a company? Let me see if you can think intuitively. If I say a company is bleeding out, already, even me saying that already makes the answer very obvious. What will we call the blood of a company? When we say, what, what would we call the blood of a company? The blood of a company. Indeed, indeed, the finances, the money, the capital, the money, right? The money. Because it's the very life force that keeps the company going, right? And we can even express it in different ways. We can say the blood is the money. We can say the blood is the, is the I guess, inspiration or the spirit of the company, you know, the, the ideology of the company, you know, that which causes life to continue, that which causes motion. So when the Bible talks about blood, it's, it's never really, it's not, it, it's not just one dimensional, right? The Bible is a multidimensional book. And when they talk about blood, they're talking about blood in, in multiple layers of existence, right? I mean, that's why, for example, Jesus Christ said, unless you drink my blood, you can't enter into my kingdom, you know, and we've, we've spoken about many times that he's not literally speaking about drinking his blood. I mean, of course we know that, but it's good to teach on it regardless. <laughs> his blood represents his life. And for his life to be able to purchase millions and billions of people tell you the quality of his life. For the fact that they say that his blood has purchased us, has been shed as a ransom for many, immediately we see that, spiritually speaking, blood is a medium of exchange. Blood is like currency. Are we able to understand that? Are we able to understand that? When I say that blood is like currency, Blood is like a medium of exchange that is able to acquire something, that is able to purchase something, right? And not all blood is good blood. I mean, even physically speaking, you know, we, we, we have what we call bad blood. And when we say bad blood, we're not literally speaking about someone's physical blood being bad, isn't it? It's like a metaphor to talk about how maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe this particular people, the way they live their life is a bit below power maybe they're very corrupt or degenerated or something and we say these people are of a bad blood something like that you know because in this way blood has different layers of meaning and so on and so forth so we spoke last week about how when a people carry out 
actions that go against the natural order of life, that go against the natural order of nature, and they act in disobedience and walk in disobedience. In doing so, every time a negative action is carried out, it's almost as though money is being removed from one's account. Every time a negative action is carried out, every time a negative action is carried out, money is being removed from a person's bank account. When all the money is gone and the person has no money at all left, the person enters into spiritual bankruptcy. That's what we can say the person is now a slave and something else possesses you. Something else owns you. And now you need to be rescued. You need to be delivered. You need to be bought out from the hands of your slave master. And we've spoken about how, I mean, just like this passage says, that these people owed money. One owed 50 denarii, another owed 500 denarii, and they did not have the capacity to pay the debt. They did not have the capacity to break themselves free from the debt that they owed. And because of that, they needed a savior. Literally, you know, like imagine if you have a business and then you are bankrupt and you don't have money. You need someone who can come and save you and build you from your debt. True or false? True or false? So far, so good. That's easy to understand, right? You have a business and based on certain bad decisions that you made, you get bankrupt. You no longer have any money to fund yourself and keep moving forward. Then you now need a savior to come in and help you, to bail you out. This is, a, this is a narrative that we see play out throughout the Bible when God raises up, when God raises up people who will be deliverers, who will be judges, who will be prophets, and so on and so forth. So today, I want us to, I want to speak about the forgiveness of God the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God. And I want us to really look into this subject in a very interesting way in hopes that newfound light comes to us because the whole Bible talks about credits, debits, forgiveness. And forgiveness is a very, 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 very big concept in the Bible, one that most of the time isn't very much understood. And I believe it's something that God will have us understand in a crystal clear manner. So before we begin, and before we just jump right into it, what do we understand by God's forgiveness? When we hear forgiveness, what comes to mind? And I'd like to hear from us if we can speak audibly. Maybe some of us can raise our hands, maybe two people three people. When we hear forgiveness, what do you understand by it? What comes to your mind when you hear of the forgiveness of God? The forgiveness of God. What do you understand by that? I'd like to hear from us. Before I have to call people at random and put you on the spot. When we hear the forgiveness of God, what, what comes to our heart? What do we understand by it? Okay, 
Joshua. Joshua, you're on the spot now. Okay, Helen, are you trying to speak? Yes, I wanted to try. Okay, please try. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's no wrong answer, don't worry, that's good. <laughs> I think when, when we hear the forgiveness of God, or if we hear the word forgiveness at all, the first thing that comes to our mind is that there has been an offense committed. Mm, so good. So one needs forgiveness for an offense or for an evil done. Mm, mm. So good. So I, I, are you done? Are you still going? Yeah, no, I'm done. Okay, awesome, awesome. That's, that's good, that's good. For there to be forgiveness, there has to be a wrongdoing. There has to be an offense. If there wasn't an offense, there won't be a need for forgiveness. So that's good. So that's good. Someone says to pardon. Okay, who else wants to go, go ahead to try to say what they understand by forgiveness? When you hear forgiveness in the Bible, what comes to your heart? Um, Jefferson, are you able to speak? Are you able to speak, Jefferson? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Very well. Um, I don't know why, but I keep thinking of like um, forgiveness as um, let's say when God forgives you of a wrongdoing, it's like I'm um, redirecting your path, you know, like from you know being on the wrong path. That forgiveness, um, I don't know, like an entity that redirects you back to where you're supposed to be, like to the place of correction. So okay. you define forgiveness as a redirection? Yeah, like as a yeah, as a redirection or something that you know redirects you back to um like very well. Something that we, like a detour. Very well, very well. Yeah, yeah. Very well, very well. Awesome. Awesome. Dan says to let go. Yeah, all of us, everything we've said are all are all very much on point, very much on point. So we're talking about karma. And as we said before, karma literally means action. And when we talk about action, inadvertently, we're talking about the reaction. When we're talking about causes, we're talking about effects, right? And in order to in order to talk about forgiveness today and really unpack it the way that I believe God wishes for it to be unpacked, I want to bring out another law in the study of karma for our reflection. And the law is everything, and I want to write this down, everything returns to its point of origin. Everything returns to its point of origin. Everything returns to its point of origin. And it's a very, very important thing to, to, to remember. And I mean, this, is, this phrase I just gave is something that people have talked about in so many different ways. Indeed, Natalie, a circle, right? 
reality is a circle. It's very circular. And that's why you look at nature. You see how our planets are circular. You see how the solar system is circular. You see how our galaxy is circular. You see how our days are circular. Like when, when you look at the world around us from a, from a poetic point of view, you see that everything is a circle, right? Everyone came from dust, from the dust of the earth. Everyone returns to the dust of the earth, which is a circle. All spirits came out of God. All spirits return back to God, which is a circle. Do you, are, do you guys understand that so far? Everything returns to its point of origin. Reality is just like a boomerang. Or we can say what goes around comes around. And if something comes out of you, that thing that you have put out, sooner or later, that which you have put out is going to come back to meet you. It might not happen in two months, it might not happen in two years, but what you have projected outward into creation, because of that law of the circle, of everything returning back to its point of origin, whatever it is that you have put out will come back to you. Now as people, especially when we begin to walk in when we begin to walk in faith, let me start by talking about walking in faith. And we do everything that God has asked us to do. We're obedient. All the instructions that God gives to us, we heed them. Everything that God tells us to stop doing, we stop doing them. Everything that God tells us to start doing, we start doing them. That energy that we begin to project outward, eventually it comes back to meet us, maybe in a newer or different light. A very simple example is that maybe, and it's still the same concept of seed time and harvest, right? If I go to the gym and I push some weights or I run on the treadmill, that is something I'm pushing out. And then what I've put out comes back to me as more strength, more endurance, more stamina, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if I am continuously lazy, right? And I procrastinate all the time, that's the energy that I put out. If I procrastinate all the time, definitely I'm not going to get the result of someone who didn't procrastinate and who did the work, isn't it? So we all talk about the forgiveness of God. We all talk about how God has forgiven my sins. God forgives my sins and so on and so forth. I'm saying when I came to Christ, you know, God cleansed me. God forgave me. But as this factor that we have not really considered, which I really want us to consider today, the factor of the one that continues to sin, the factor of the one that continues to break the law, the factor of the one that continues to walk in error. Because there are many people who have the ideology that, oh, the moment I just say, oh, Jesus is Lord, and oh, the moment I join the particular church, or the moment I join this or that group, that oh, that's all that needs to happen. Oh, God has forgiven me all my sins and everything, and washed away, and white as snow, and all this and all that, and everything that has been done in the past, and everything that is being done in the present, everything is completely dismantled. I want to ask us a question. 
in our rational mind, does that make sense? I'm asking. In our rational mind, does that make sense? I'm asking people. Talk to me. In our rational mind, does that make sense? Well, yes and no, and that's that's a correct answer. Tell me if this makes sense. Oh, God has forgiven me all my sins and all my debts, and I'm 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 white as snow, I'm brand new, and all things are passed away. Then I go into a market, maybe a, 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 a Lagos market, and I go there and I steal 1,000 naira from a particular woman who sells yam or sells um, fabric. I want to ask you a question. When I go and steal that 1,000 naira, <laughs> all things have passed away and everything, would that, would that save me from the consequence of that action? Masking. What do you think will happen to that person who says all things are passed and they go and steal 1,000 naira in uh, Onikon market or uh, Baluguma? What, what do you think will happen in, in that moment? I'm asking. I'm asking people. What do you think will happen to that person? <laughs> that person will be so, that person will be fortunate if they leave that place alive. You know, indeed, Dama, you will be severely punished, probably killed. I mean, it's only a matter of time before a tire is on your neck because I mean, those people are very trigger happy. Any opportunity for violence, they will take it with both hands. You know, <laughs> if you're in the north, like Hosea just said, if you're in the north, you do that. Your hand is probably going to get cut off, right? Because that idea of, yes, all things have passed away and Christ has made all things new. That idea, using that as a license to say, I am not going to, I am not going to, let's assume that upon receiving Christ, and which is the case, Upon receiving Christ, the debt that we have accrued in our life from different things in high school, when we were, when we were bullies, how, because some people, you know, they're in their 30s, then their 40s right now, and they don't know that a lot of challenges they're facing, a lot of circumstances of being, of being bullied in their workplace, in social circles they try to enter into in, 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 in politics, in whatever it is they're trying to do in their life, in their later age. Many of, the, many of them don't realize that that bullying that they're experiencing later in life is an effect of the people that they bullied when they were in high school. At 14, 15, you we're very cruel to people. You're very mean to people. You're always one of those who were always knocking the juniors' heads, always punishing them, always making them to roll in the mud and take their provisions and so on and so forth. When one does that, when one does that, that act of evil, that act of disobedience, that act of in harmony with nature, when one does that, one begins to create death spiritually for themselves because they have collected something that they should not have collected. They have collected something that is not there, something that they haven't earned. In creating sorrows for others, creating misery for others, they have collected something that they should not have collected. 
and now, because nature has to balance itself, that which you collected when you were 15 has to come when you're 25 or come when you're 35 and also collect that thing from you. And that can express itself in an untold number of ways. Like I said, you can, you can be applying for a job or you enter the workplace and maybe people bully you for your lack of intelligence or bully you for your lack of exposure or whatever. You just find that in some way in your life, you're experiencing a new form of bullying that you created when you were a teenager. This is an example of what we have put out coming back to us. And let's say all of these things we did before Christ, quote unquote. And then Christ comes. Can you guys hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, awesome. Awesome. So let's say all these things were done before you met Christ and then Christ comes. And let's say that the day you gave your life to Christ, that debt you owe, which is to be paid by you facing circumstances of you being bullied, because that's your payment, right? I want us to understand payments in a different, in a different light. You, you entered into debt by bullying someone. The only way that debt can be paid is by you also experiencing a situation of being bullied. I want to ask you the question, who can tell me why God made nature in such a way that what you created for others, you also experience? Who can tell me why? Who can tell me? Who wants to give that a shot? Why did God design it in such a way that what you do unto others would also be done to you? Who can tell me why? Can I try? Yes, please, Dama. Okay. I think God made it, made it like that so we should learn our, our lessons. To teach us lessons. Like, indeed. if you do something, you cannot go scot free without being punished. Indeed, indeed. What about when you do something nice to someone and then you get a, a, a consequence of gratitude, of blessings and all that? Why did God also make it like like that so you get rewarded like you're rewarded Indeed. by doing the right thing and what does the reward do for you you boost your esteem your self-esteem you feel Indeed. better Good. Indeed, and makes you to want to do that thing again isn't it yeah and then the pain you feel from a negative consequence is to make you not do that thing again isn't it yes yes so this is essentially how it works. And this is essentially how exactly, Helen, it, it is to encourage us to do the right things and it is, it is to discourage us from doing the wrong things like we said in the very first, um, the very first lecture on this series, right? Positive karma encourages us to do the right things or better said, positive consequences encourages us to do, do the right things and negative consequences are meant to discourage us from doing the wrong things. So if you put out there an action of cruelty, of bullying, you have entered into a debt that can only be paid by you also experiencing that same 
bullying. Sooner or later, that's just the way it is. It might, not, it might not necessarily come from that exact same person, but sooner or later, it's going to come to you. And a beautiful example, and I, I love, I think um, it was, um, I think it was Moe that brought that out. I was so happy when she brought us like, yes, like that shows a lot of understanding. She brought out the scripture of Jacob, who in his youth deceived his father to gain the blessings of the firstborn. And then what happened to Jacob later in his life? For those of us who, have, who know that passage, what happened to him later in his life? Can I try? Of course you can tell me. Okay. Um, the person he was working for gave him the wrong wife. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Indeed. Why do you think God made him experience what it feels like to be deceived? To teach him a lesson. Very big Indeed. lesson. <laughs> a very big lesson, right? To teach him something. Even though, I mean, spiritually speaking, Esau gave up his birthright, right? And when Jacob and Esau were born, God told Rebekah that the older will serve the younger. So from the beginning, it was prophesied that Esau was going to serve Jacob. Esau will be the, will be the lesser one and Jacob will be the greater one. That's the word that God gave to Rebekah. So even, even Isaac wanting to give the blessings to Esau was actually against divine order. So actually Rebekah, even though she schemed and made her son act deceitfully, she was actually trying to bring into manifestation the will of God. Now that's a whole sermon on its own, you know, trying to do the right thing the wrong way, you know. Nevertheless, in order to do the right thing, in order to do the right thing, in order to bring God's will into manifestation, Jacob lied to someone. He deceived someone, you know, in order to gain something from them. And the way God designed the world, everything you do to others, everything you make others feel, you also have to feel them because in, in a sense, everyone is connected, right? That idea of us being disconnected from ourselves is a lie. And sooner or later, if Nigeria is very bad to Kotonou, to Ghana and so on and so forth, soon and very soon, they will experience everything that they have done to Kotonou and by the experience, they will be the ones to judge whether what they did was right or wrong. Because that's how God made the world. The consequences come to help you to have an understanding of what you have done. Because you can never know what you have done until you are in someone else's shoes. Do you guys understand? If someone comes to you and they give you help in whatever form, whether they help you with a project, whether they help you with the schoolwork, whether they help you with finances, whether they help you with prayer, whether they help you with some kind of education, that person who is helping you cannot really understand what he has done until you show your gratitude by helping them. True or false? True or false? True or false, right? So when the person helps you, They've done something, but they haven't really experienced 
what they've done until they are also put in a position where they need help and they are helped. True or false? True or false? And also, a person who denies helping others. You see someone in need and you scorn them, you mock them, you laugh at them. You can't have an understanding of what you have done. You can't be connected to that person until you also have an experience where you are in help and when you're in need of help and you are mocked, you are laughed at and you are scorned. And it's because of that reason where God wants every one of us to be connected to one another. Where God wants everyone to feel what everyone is feeling. He has made the world in such a way that whatever it is that you create for people will also be created for you. Sooner or later. Sooner or later. You make an effort to, or maybe for example, right? Your spouse or your significant other, they actually put in effort to actually look very nice, right? They put in a nice outfit, whether a nice suit, you know, jacket or a nice dress or whatever. You know, maybe a woman, for example, you put on, you put on, you know, very nice makeup, you fix your hair, everything. And when you did that, you had the intention of, you had the intention of having your husband, you know, appreciate you or your significant other appreciate like, Oh my God, you look so beautiful and vice versa, right? As a man, you just got a haircut, you know, just put on that new outfit and you did it with an intention of, you know, being appreciated by your quote unquote significant other. Now, in that moment, when someone makes an effort to look beautiful for you, to, to look presentable to you, And they got upset that you did not even, you did not even give any kind of compliment. You know, you did not even. Say, and I know, you know, a lot of us have an idea of what I'm talking about. You know, and no, no compliment at all. You know, maybe sometimes you even walk past twice so that ah, is that this person did not, you know, see what is what is really happening here and so on and so forth. You know, then that person in that moment, maybe you get up, you know, you feel sad or you you're upset and. Ah, can you imagine? You do not even look at me. You, don't, you know, that person can't understand what you are feeling until a moment where maybe, okay, let's say, for example, it's a woman that does that, right? And she actually looks very lovely, very beautiful and everything. And the man just does not even regard it. does not even say she's beautiful. He doesn't, you know, and maybe the woman starts to complain that, can you imagine? He's not even, you know, that man can't understand what that woman is feeling until maybe one day he goes out of his way to buy something very, something that cost him a lot, you know? Or maybe he stressed himself to get something that you like, you know, maybe he spent hours in traffic or whatever to just make you happy. And then it just happens that on that day he did that. You as the woman, you don't really care about it. And he feels a big sting in his heart because, ah, look at how much effort I put in to just put a smile on your face. And you're not even smiling, you know. An instance like that is how God has designed the world, you know, 
Eso vas a decir. Eso es así, chicos. I'm just speaking generically. You know what I'm saying? You know. God has designed the world, you know, in such a way that he has made sure that whatever experience we create for others, sooner or later, we're going to experience the same thing again. Sooner or later. If we take power from people, we demoralize them, we tear them down. God wants you to understand what you have done. He wants you to understand it, what has happened. So he also will create, or just the way he designed the law of karma, the world. Reality will have it so that sooner or later, an experience will happen where you will get to see the reality of what you did. Understand, I'm just talking about forgiveness, but I'm just making this segue in order to come back to to the initial point about forgiveness and so on and so forth and how it actually works with God. Would you like me to, would you like me to tell you guys a story to illustrate this a little bit? Would you guys like to hear a story? Do you guys want to hear a story? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome. There once upon a time The once upon a time was a young man who was very greedy and was very desperate for money. Money was his God and his family did not have that God. And he had to look for it by hook or by crook. And he went all kinds of places. He tried all kinds of scams and everything. It wasn't working until one particular day one particular day, a friend of his asked him to go and see Babalao in order to give him some instructions that would change his stars and provide money for him. So he went to meet this Babalao. The Babalao told him to bring some few elements and so on and so forth. The Babalao made some incisions on his body. True life story I'm telling you, not fiction. Made some incisions on his body and then told him, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to be rich, what you must do, you must take your father, who is now sick, into a particular forest, and you're going to tie him to a particular tree and leave him there to die. When you do that, wealth will come to you. The boy heard that. He pondered a lot, he pondered a lot, he pondered a lot. And he started thinking because his father even, his father was sick, you know? His father was very sick, very, very sick. And then hospital bills all, all over the place, you know? So the, the father was a great liability. So, so it's not as if the father was even helping his life. The father was even complicating his life. So honestly, that thing that the Babalao asked him to do, it was, it, in fact, it, it, it favored him, you know, because the father was really giving him stress and so on, you know. So, so 
He went to go and pick up his father. He told the father, ah, daddy, I want to take you to the hospital to try and, you know, help with your ailment, you know, come with me. There's a particular uh, healer I want to take you to and everything, you know. So the father entered the car with him. He went with the father. The father went with him in the car and they went to a particular forest. And as they were in that forest, they came down. He took the father to work with him and everything. The boy finally got to the tree that the, the, the Babalawa told him to tie his father to. He now put the father to sit down there and said, Daddy, I'm coming. Let me go and get something. As the boy was going, the father said, my son, come. He went to the father saying, yes, daddy. He was quiet for a bit. He said, this tree that I'm sitting down, I want you to go around the tree and see what is at the back of this tree. So the boy went behind the tree and lo and behold, he saw a skeleton right there. A skeleton that had dried. It's obvious that skeleton was there for many years. And the father said to the son, he said, you see that skeleton there? That's my father. When I was young, I was told to bring him and use him for money ritual in order to get wealthy. Now look at my life. I am sick, I am poor, I have nothing. And now the exact thing I did, my own son is about to do it to me. My son, let me tell you something. I'm not trying to save my life. I'm trying to save your life. If you do this to me, in the same way that I did to my father, this same thing will happen to you. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's a very deep story. Very deep story. Let me tell you another one. This one I haven't read recently. It was in the news. There was a man who came to, and it was actually a police officer that was telling the story on Twitter. He said there was one old man who came to, who came to the police station to complain that his son was beating him. To complain that his son was beating him, you know, and the son was just a menace, you know, that they need to help him because the son is just a useless boy. The son now, the, the police inspector now invited him, invited his son to come to the police station in the presence of the father. Now, right there and then, the police officer started asking the son, like, what's the issue? Why are you making trouble for your father and so on and so forth? And the boy said, can you imagine this useless man? Since I finished my NYC, I'm 28 now. He didn't even give me any money. He's just watching me in the house, not doing anything. Can you imagine the man, you know? That's what the father now said to him, that in fact, I'm tired of you, you are useless, but I want you to even pack out of the house. The boy now said to the father that actually, if not for this police officer here, I would have slapped you, daddy. That's how the DPO heard what he said. Yeah, what kind of useless boy is this? He locked him up. He locked up the, 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 the son and told the father to go. The next day, the father's senior brother came to the police station 
to bail that son out. So that is that boy in the police station, his uncle came to bail him out. His uncle is a senior brother of his father. He came to bail him out from jail. DPO said, do you know what he did that you're coming to bail him out? He said, yes, I know. So how come, but how can you allow that? Why do we want to bail him out? He said, don't mind my, my brother. When we were young, when we were young, when we were in the village, before we moved to Lagos, my brother would beat up my father, would beat up my mother. And one day, the elders of the community gathered together to judge him because of that matter. And they said to him, what you have done to your father and your mother will be done to you. So what he's experiencing now in his old age is the fruit of what he planted 50, 60 years ago. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Let me use my own life as a real life example. As a real life example. You know, I told you about the man who has been like a father figure in my life after my father passed away, etc., etc. I think I posted a video of him and me on the telegram and everything. In the year 1999, and again, I'll say this story because he himself has, has said it many times. So I'm saying it because he has said it. In the year 1999, this man just began his ministry in a small classroom in a high school in our area. There were not more than 15, 20, you know. But it was a very powerful prayer ministry, very powerful. He started with a lot of, you know, very powerful. Of course, he didn't have much. He was an engineer that didn't really have a lot of money. But he had to answer the call of God. So he abandoned his engineering profession and began to focus on ministry and begin to build a church and everything and everything. Now, at that time when he didn't have anything, just struggling to make ends meet and all that, my mom and my dad, they bought him the first drum in his church. They bought him the first keyboard. They bought him the first sound mixer. He even told me that the first suit that he had, my father bought him the first pair of suits then in 1999. Now, in the year 2001, it happened to be that the man and his family, it got to a point where they could not pay their rent. The landlord came, evicted him, his wife, and his four children. No, at that time he had three children. Him, his wife, and his three children, and put all their load in the rain in the year 2001. My mom and my dad saw that. Of course, they, they can't see that and be quiet. They took him, the wife, the children. My mom and my dad, they vacated their matrimonial bedroom, gave it to the man and his wife. They started sleeping in the guest room. Me and my sister started to share the, our bedroom with their children. And they stayed with us for nine months before they were able to gather themselves and get their own place. This was done in 2001. In the year 2004, my father died. This same man who my dad bought him suits, but he didn't have suits at the time. This same man 
hold the bots, drums, keyboard, and everything. He came when I was in GS2. He put me through high school. As a, as a matter of fact, at that time, my high school was even more expensive than the high school of his own son. He now brought his son there after. He paid all through high school. When I finished high school, he asked me, where do you want to go for school? Go and come and tell me. And I came and told him I want to go to Dubai. This man paid me through university in a foreign land, tens of millions. In that same foreign land, I messed up. I lost my way. I had to start school all over again. This man forgave me and sent me back. All of this was an effect of a little act that happened in the year 1999 and 2001. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Small deed, or what looked like a small deed, 20 plus years ago, came back many years later to create a bountiful harvest. And that help that my parents created for someone, God made sure that they themselves, they themselves experienced it. Or better said, my mom, because my dad had passed away. My mom experienced it. My mom experienced, as a matter of fact, as a matter of, just God just blessed my mom in such a way that for some reason, Every one of us, people just came and said, you know what, we're going to. <laughs> and interestingly, my mom, when she started ministry in the year 1998, she started ministry as a help ministry. People were in the church. She was in the street with area boys. I just see my mom as fine. Have, have you guys seen my mom? Have <laughs> you seen my mother before? That woman is a full uh, <laughs> shakara. If I, let, me, let me see if I can have a photograph. She doesn't even post one picture on Instagram. I say, ah, this woman, she has come again, you know. <laughs> Let me show you what she just posted on Instagram today. I don't know if you can see. Look at my mother. This is a, uh, can you guys see? Is it clear? It's not clear. It's not clear, you know. It's not clear. I don't think you guys will be able to see it. The focus is not fine. Even at her age, she's almost 60. She's still giving them, you know, bringing pressure to everybody. <laughs> You know, and of course, in her youth, before Christ, she was also a, you know, a core woman and everything, you know, and everything. That person will go into slums. She will literally, I don't even know how she had that kind of courage. She would literally meet thugs, you know, people high on drugs, prostitutes, you know, literally bring them into the, like I grew up with area boys living in my house. Can you believe that? She would bring them, rehabilitate them, you know, do crusade after crusade, you know, doing outreaches. Many years ago, now is it strange that someone who made it a mission to help people from the streets and carry out a ministry, is it strange that someone like that will have a life in such a way that for her children, helpers just came from different places? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Helpers came. It didn't come from those area boys in the, in the slum, under the bridge. In fact, my dad used to fight at that time. Like, what, what are you going to? I actually remember one time, I remember vividly, he was fighting. In fact, he would lock the door. He said, you're not going anywhere. This was like 1 a.m. She was going to a crusade under the bridge. Then he kept her under the bridge in the year 2000. 
where they were mad people, they were drug addicts, everything, you know, criminals. The head of area boys in Ogba at that time, he used to come and sit down, sit down in a house, you know. That was the help that she was doing many years ago. Is it strange that in her, in her own life, helpers came and she experienced the reality of being helped? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? These stories I've told, is it, is it painting a picture in our hearts, in our minds? Is it painting a picture? I'm asking, is it painting a picture? That same experience of help that she created for others, God made sure that she also experienced that help. That's karma. That's the way it works. What you have created for others to experience will also be created for you to also experience. To either encourage you to continue to do that same thing or discourage you from continuing that thing. And that's how life works. And when one goes around creating all kinds of calamities and tragedies for people, you create a death for yourself that will only be paid by you experiencing the sorrows that you have caused for others. And on the flip side, if you have a life where you have helped people, you have done good. Have you heard that scripture that it said, he who, he who gives to the poor lends to God? Have you guys heard that scripture before? Have you guys read that scripture before? The one who gives to the poor lends to God. Literally, you become a lender to God. God becomes in your debt when you lend to the poor. And poor doesn't necessarily mean someone who doesn't have money. It simply means someone who has less than you. Whether they have less joy than you, whether they have less knowledge than you, less wisdom than you, less time than you, less anything than you. That's what the Bible means by poor, right? Someone who has less than you. The one who gives to the poor lends unto God. Now, when one lends unto God through good deeds, you are repaid by experiencing the same experience <laughs> you created for others. Do you understand? Do you guys understand? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? When we walk in sin, when we walk in unrighteousness, we enter into debt. And that debt is paid by us experiencing the bad that we cause for others. When we walk in righteousness, when we walk in faith, when we walk in holiness, we are repaid by experiencing the goodness we cause for others. Because every time you walk in righteousness, every time you walk in obedience to God, are you aware that it will cost you something? Are we aware of that? Every time you walk in obedience to God, it comes at a cost to you. It always costs you something. In Hebrew, and we said it many times, the word for love in Hebrew is ahava. And ahava literally means to give. So when the Bible talks about loving, at the same time, they're talking about giving. Because from God's point of view, you can never love 
if you can never give. And that's the difference between Cain and Abel. If you break it down, if you break their names down into a very simple understanding, the name Cain means to take. The name Abel means to give. And you are seeing the story that shows the outcome of a nature that always tries to take and the nature that always tries to give. Because Abel literally means vapor or breath, which is something that is given. And Cain means nest, which is something that collects things, right? Like a bird's nest, it holds eggs. A nest holds things. It doesn't release things. So the name Cain and Abel is literally a wordplay of the nature of giving and the nature of taking. Whenever we walk in obedience to God, whenever we walk in faith, whenever we walk in righteousness, it always causes us to give something. But one part that we don't realize is that in the giving, there is a repayment that is coming back to us. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? When Abel gave, he was repaid by the, with the acceptance of God, the blessing of God, the, 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 the cherishing of God. When Cain tried to take, he had to pay by experiencing rejection. Does that make sense? Are you guys understanding this word play? This now is it making sense? Is it making sense to us? Are we all following? Are we all following? Awesome. 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 So when we walk in obedience to God, when we walk by faith, faith collects things from us that God has given to us, right? And when those things are collected from us and are given to those who are in need, in doing so, we are guaranteeing, we are guaranteeing that something is going to come back in return. But on the flip side, if we live a life of always taking, 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 we are guaranteeing that something is going to be taken from us. This is karma, right? So now, so now, using the example of someone who bullied people in high school in their teenage years, right? In that, in that time, you took people's happiness, you took people's joy, and all, you did all these things. And nature has designed it in such a way that that experience you created for others, that pain you caused for others, you have to pay for it by experiencing the same thing, some way, somehow. And in your 30s, the check comes. It's time for you to pay what you owe. And you pay by going through those same experiences. It might not necessarily be the same. We don't want to tell you to kneel down. But the things that are happening to you, it, it, it matters. It, it, it to feel the same feeling that person had when you told them to kneel down of shame, of, of, of being, being put underfoot. is the same thing you're going to experience. Now, how grace works. Because based on your actions of bullying someone, you have earned an experience of being bullied. That is your debt. That's what you owe. Do you guys understand that so far? 
Do you understand that so far? When I say that's your debt and your payment will be to experience the same thing. Do we all understand that? Awesome, awesome. Now, when we talk about the forgiveness of God, that experience that you're meant to have of that same pain you caused, you caused, he wipes it off. Does that make sense? Because what you have earned is to experience bullying yourself. That's what you have earned based on the work you have done, based on the seed you have planted. You have earned a harvest of sorrows because you have planted sorrows. When God talks about forgiveness, he wipes off that which you have earned in order to give you a chance to correct your ways, to change your ways. Because grace is meant to help us overcome sin. It's not for us, it's not to enable sin. As many people say, you know, with the once saved, always saved message and, you know, things like that. And, you know, people using it as license to continue to do the wrong things and so on and so forth. That's not exactly how it works in God's kingdom, right? So when grace comes, grace, grace writes off that debt that is owed, which is to be paid by you going through that same experience of being bullied. Now, let's say you now come to God in your, in, your, in your youth, you did all those things, you now come to God, you know, you are repentant and everything and so on and so forth. You don't, you know, you are repentant of that. And by grace, by mercy, God cancels out that debt that you owe for what you did 10 years ago. Let's say it cancels that out. And it saves you from having to experience that thing that you did 10 years ago. But in this moment, that same nature that is in you, that made you to do that thing 10 years ago is still present. Now then, you're going to have a situation where Because forgiveness is only perfected when the crime ceases to happen. Does that make sense? Forgiveness can only be complete when you no longer continue to commit the crime. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because it's one thing for him to remove the consequences of the crime that you did in the past in order to help you have a better future right, or a better present. What if in this present, that nature that made you do that thing yesterday is still very much alive? Now we have a problem. Now we have a problem and it's not enough for him to forgive you and to cancel out your debt. As a matter of fact, it would not even be beneficial for you for him to cancel that debt because you haven't learned the lesson that old man is still alive. Does that make sense? Do you guys understand? Do you guys understand? So on one hand, it was worthwhile for God to save you from the consequences of your actions. But now it has come to the point where the only way to save you is by making you face the full weight 
of all that you have done because the old man is still alive. And this is where I want to enter into today and I, and I hope that it will paint a very powerful picture in our minds that will help us to really think about a lot of things. And I want to use a scripture in the book of Romans to illustrate this particular message. The book of Romans chapter seven. The book of Romans chapter seven, verses one to three. Verses one to four. The book of Romans chapter seven, verses one to four. Now this, um, this book of Romans chapter seven, verses one to four, is Paul uses a lot of metaphor, which I'll explain, but I'll also give us an opportunity to, to explain it if we're able to, right? But it's very metaphorical, but it still talks about what we're talking about. So I'm gonna post it now. The book of Romans chapter seven, verse one to four. It says, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law, which is, well, we can say karma, right? We can say, let us say karma, just for, it is going to sound in. Because Paul is talking about the, the, because the law of Moses was, every action gets the immediate consequence. But actually, the law of Moses is pretty much like the law of karma, right? You get the immediate consequence for what it is that you have done and so on and so forth. So, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if her husband lives and she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Let me help us to, let me just explain what he said in simple words. He said, so he's talking about the law of Moses, which is the law of sin and death. And he was saying that the only way to, to be separated from the law of sin and death is by dying. But let me also ask us a question. What kind of death is Paul talking about here when he says the only way to be separated from the law is by dying? What kind of death is Paul talking about here? What kind of death is Paul talking about here when he says the only way to be separated from the old law is by dying? Exactly the death of the old nature, the death of the flesh, the death of our fast-mounted tongue that is put to insult someone when we are irritated, the death of our, our, our short temper, you know, that at the slightest whim, we're ready to pick an issue. You know, the death of the old nature, the old way of thinking, the old mind. Only through the death of that old nature are we delivered from the law. Let me now ask us a question. If one is released from the law only through death, what happens if that death doesn't happen, I'm asking? What happens if that death doesn't happen? 
If that death doesn't happen, indeed, Jumoke, one is still bound. Indeed, Egwono, the consequences of the law remains in effect. It doesn't matter how many times you plead the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter how many times you say, oh, I'm of the new dispensation in Christ. All those things don't matter. Because what separates you from the old law is not the proclamation of the mouth, but the death of the criminal that breaks the law. Do you understand? Because grace is not given for you to break the law. It's given to help you uphold it. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Grace is given to help you to uphold the law, not break it. Once the law is broken, whether you are in the law or you are in grace, once you break the law, you are now subject to the full weight of the law. Does that make sense? Because you are only delivered from the law through the death of the old man, the old nature. So long as the old man, the old nature is still present, just like Paul said, if a woman is married to a husband, if the husband is alive, she's still bound to him. But if he dies, she's freed from him. Meaning that we're married to this law of karma. We're married to this law of karma so long as we are still criminals to the law. So long as we're still delinquents, so long as we're still breaking it. And let me even open another scripture to even emphasize this even more. And I'll use, I will ask us a question from this scripture from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. From the book of Galatians, chapter 5, chapter 5, verses from 16. Chapter 5, verses 16. And this is so important for us to say, to know. Verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. If Paul says walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. If one is fulfilling the loss of the flesh, what does that say? I'm asking if one is fulfilling the loss of the flesh, what does that say? Because Paul said, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. So if one is fulfilling the loss of the flesh, what is happening? Indeed, they are walking in the flesh. They are not walking in the spirit. If one is fulfilling the loss of the flesh, they are not walking in Christ. They are not walking in grace. You guys get what I'm saying? If one is fulfilling the loss of the flesh, they are not walking in grace. They are not walking in Christ. They are not walking in spirit. And everything that grace comes with becomes revoked in their life when they are no longer walking in the spirit. Now, let me now go further. And I'm going to be bringing out this particular scripture one by one so that we can understand it very well. We're going to read from 16 to about 20, but I'll bring out every one of them bit by bit for us to have an understanding. Verse 17 says, For the flesh lost against the spirit, and the spirit lost against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. This one will be a bit confusing. 
Okay. Let me put 18, which caps it up properly. Let me put 18. Galatians 5.18, which says, which says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5.18 says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, one thing I want us to learn when we're reading the Bible, right, is that for everything said in the Bible, just look at life as, there's a way I have it in my head. I'll just say it as it is, then after we can find the right words. Always look at everything in life as masculine and feminine. If you see a man in the Bible, you must understand that there's a woman, even if she's not mentioned. Because man can't exist without woman. A woman can't exist without man. If you see a man, there's a woman somewhere present that you have to look for. If you see a woman, there's a man that you have to look for that is not showing to have an understanding of what you're looking at, right? And if I'll use another way to explain it, if you see a particular thing being said, for you to understand that thing being said, you have to look for the opposite. Indeed, if you the yin and yang. So there's some scriptures in the Bible that are either yin or yang, that are either masculine or feminine, that are either left or right. And you can't understand the left unless you can understand, or unless you see the right. And you can't understand the right unless you see the left. So we have a scripture here in this Galatians 5.18 that is similar to what we can call a masculine scripture. Not, don't, think about, don't think about it from gender. Just look at it as one side. When I say masculine, I'm not really talking about masculine as male, but I'm just talking about something that is one-sided. Does that make sense? When I say it's a masculine scripture, I mean that it is a one-sided scripture that has another side that you must look into in order to understand, right? The scripture says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now tell me, what is the other side of this scripture? Tell me, what is the other side of this scripture? It says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What does it mean? What's the other side that can help you understand this scripture? If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You can feel free to raise your hand to speak if you, if you wish. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What is the other side? Indeed, Ihanaya, very beautiful. If you are not led by the spirit, you are under the law. Does that make sense? Are you guys getting the narrative I'm painting? If you are not led by the spirit, you are under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are under the law. And this is how we need to read our Bible because this is how they talk. They will only say one side, but you, how can there be 12 apostles who represent 12 kings and you will not realize that there are 12 queens? Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? Because in the Bible, when they talk about a man, they're not just talking about a man, they're talking about a household. So those who understand know that if they talk about Peter, they're talking about Peter, his wife, and his children. Does that make sense? That's how God sees things, right? Do you guys understand? When they talk about one person, they talk about the whole aspect of that person. So if we just look at that and we look at it in a divided way, we will not understand the full picture. So far, do you guys understand what I'm saying? I know I explained it in a colorful way, but do you understand what I'm saying? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? How everything has two sides. How if there's a masculine, there must be feminine. If there's a feminine, there must be masculine, right? If God says, if you obey me and keep my statutes, it shall be well with you. What is the other side of that scripture? <laughs> right? What's the other side of that scripture? If you keep my statutes and you obey me, it shall be well with you. What's the other side of that scripture? Who can tell me? Indeed, if you disobey me, it shall not be well with you, right? <laughs> so we have, we have a, a system of, of teaching today that talks a lot about what happens if you obey God and what happens if you walk in grace and everything, but they don't understand that it has two sides. Are you guys getting my point? Are you guys getting my point? It has two sides. And the Bible shows it very clearly. When Israel kept to the statutes of God, it was very well with them. In fact, it was too well with them. That that too much wellness led them to sin. And then they started to break the statutes of God and it was no longer well with them. Do you guys get my point? The Bible doesn't need to state, because, you know, those people, I have people who say, show me where this thing is literally in the Bible. And, you know, when people say that, even though there's a place for that, right? But people who need things to be literally said word for word, exactly, exactly, don't have understanding. And that's why, for example, Jesus Christ said, before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees said, you're not even 50 years old, and you are saying that you are older than the father Abraham, people who have died and are long dead. I just heard them. I said, I want to ask you a question. Wasn't God called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? So now I want to ask you a question because you are telling me that are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob not dead. So are you saying that God is the God of the dead? Is God the God of the dead or God of the living? As he said that, they were all fools. I guess get my point. The Bible never said anywhere that God is the God of the living, but common sense will tell you that if he says, if he still calls himself the God of Abraham, who quote-unquote has died, that tells you something. That is this man really dead? Because God doesn't address him as someone who has passed away, but someone that is still alive. You guys get what I'm saying? But it's not said in a straightforward way. But he said in a different way. And I, if for those of us who were present on Tuesday when I talked about dreams and the language of dreams, do you, do you see the continuity of that, that, that session on Tuesday? Things don't have to be said literally for a thing to be said. It doesn't have to be said in a very linear way because that's not how God speaks. And if we engage the Bible with a very linear mind, we will not be able to understand anything because things are not said in a linear way. You understand? So there's no place that literally said God is the God of the living or God is not the God of the dead, but common sense, if you look at it, it will tell you. You know? It will tell you. If you also read the Bible, you see in the book of Genesis, around the time of Noah, Abraham and all that, in the time of the patriarchs, you will find that none of them, wait, no, no, that, that will take us off time. I'll take off time. Anyway, that will take us off time. I don't want to go into that direction. Things don't have to be said in a linear way for them to be said, right? So like I said, God will say, if you keep my statutes, it shall be well with you. 
you must understand that that statement is saying more than one thing. It's also saying, if you don't keep my statutes, it shall not be well with you. So as we see, as we see in Galatians now, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The other half of that statement says, if you are not led by the Spirit, you are under the law. Now, even if it's not written literally, it is written there, clear for anyone to see. Now, I want us to go further into that particular scripture. Paul now, because he said something, he said, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the laws of the flesh. And on the flip side, he's saying, if you don't walk in the Spirit, you will fulfill the laws of the flesh. Now, after that, he made it necessary to explain what it means by loss of the flesh in case anyone wants to plead ignorance, right? And this is something for us to learn, especially in teaching and communicating things to people. Whenever you make a statement like loss of the flesh and everything, don't just assume the person understands what you're saying. Be intentional about unpacking that particular thing you're talking about to make sure the person understands you. Don't just assume they understand, right? So Paul talks about the loss of the flesh, but he made sure that he explained it to these people so they know exactly what he's saying. He then said in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And this is something he says here in verse 21. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you guys following? Because you have teachings that, oh, once saved, always saved. Do you see what Paul says here? Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because you say you are saved. Yeah, sure, I'm saved. I've come to God. All things have passed away. I've become new. But now you go back to practice those old things. Going back to your old vomit. Are you not undoing what God has done, I'm asking? Are you not undoing what God has done? Are you not bringing back upon yourself what God has saved you from, I'm asking? Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? He said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at the next part, which now further emphasizes what I want to talk about this evening, what I'm talking about this evening. Verse 22 says, and I'll post it for us to see. And we're going to tell me the other half of this statement. Right? We're going to tell me the other half of this statement. Verse 22 and 23 says, and I posted it. But the, understand, first of all, he described the loss of the flesh, right? Which, can, which we can also call the fruits of the flesh, which is reveries, outbursts of wrath, lewdness, uncleanness, drunkenness, idolatry, etc., etc. He now says here, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now look at this key part. Against such, there is no law. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and so on. He said against such, there is no law. 
Now tell me, what's the other half of this, of this statement made by Paul? What's the stage? You can, you can raise your hand if you want to speak. What's the other half of this statement by Paul? He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Dan, go ahead. So I think, okay, so it's basically saying against things like hatred, worry, war, <laughs> everything that is the opposite of these things um, he has stated, um, not being kind, not being good, not being faithful, not being able to be patient or to suffer long. Against such things, there is a law. Indeed. Indeed. Do you guys all understand that? I'd like to hear a response. You can either say yes or you'd write in the chat. Do we all understand that? Yes. Yeah? Against such, there is a law. Because you say, oh, we're not under law, we're under grace. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But he says here that the only thing that there isn't a law against is the very nature and character of God because these very things uphold and sustain life. But for things that tarnish and pull down life, of course there has to be a law. We don't even need the Bible to tell us that. You guys understand what I'm saying? There has to be a law against someone who is not willing to slow down their vehicle in a residential area. Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? For someone who says, I'm going to drive in a residential area where there are children, there are pedestrians, I will drive there at 80 miles per, per hour. Of course, there must be a law for him. There must be a law against him that will strike him on the head when he, when he does things like that. But to the person who has common sense, who is self-regulated and by themselves, he won't drive 20 kilometers per hour. For someone like that, there's no, need for, there's no need for there to be any law for them because they are a law to themselves. They look at the situation, they look at the environment and they see what needs to be done and they do it. So you don't need to tell, okay, someone who wakes up every morning and cleans the house by themselves, they wash the dishes by themselves, do you need to tell them to do it? I'm asking. Do you need to tell them to do it? I'm asking. Do you need to create punishment if they don't do it? No. Because all of those things, in fact, the law only exists for the lawless. And I think there's a scripture that actually says that very, very clearly, that the law is for the lawless. Someone please bring that scripture out for me. The law only exists for the lawless. The law doesn't exist for the lawful. Grace is a dimension of God, of people that keep the law. The person who walks in grace keeps the law of God, keeps the, statute, the statutes of God. The person who walks in grace does not break it. The moment you break the statutes of God, the moment you break the laws of God, you yourself, have ejected yourself from grace because the picture of grace is the garden of Eden. That's grace. That's the spirit, right? The garden of Eden 
is a representation of the kingdom of God. And of course, a kingdom, a kingdom, the domain of a king, is where the will of a king is established, where the will of a king is done. The moment you no longer live by the will of the king, even though you are physically in that kingdom, you are not a part of that kingdom. Because your citizenship in that kingdom is verified by you keeping to the statutes of that kingdom. And that's why when you break the law in a country, they remove you by either, um, 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 what, what's, what's this word when you kick someone out of the, out of the country? Is it export, not export? Deportation, aha. Uh -huh. They deport you or they lock you in jail, but you cannot stay in that land if you cannot keep to the law of that land. And it's the same with God. When the law of the spirit is broken, we eject ourselves from the spirit and put ourselves into the flesh. When the law of the flesh is broken as well, right? Because to follow God is to break the law of the flesh, isn't it? We are disobeying all the desires of your, of your flesh, of the self. When you break that, it ejects you as well and sends you to the spirit. When you break the laws of the spirit, it ejects you and sends you to the flesh and so on and so forth. Thank you, Timidaya and Ihanaya. Uh, the scripture is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. And it says, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, right? For the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. Do you see the relationship between what Paul is saying to Timothy and what he said to the Galatians? Are you able to see the connection? Are you able to see the connection? In that scripture in Galatians, he didn't say that against the works of the flesh there is law. He didn't say, he didn't need to say it. Anyone with common sense should be able to see it, right? But in Timothy, it is clearly stated here that the law is for anyone who is a lawbreaker. So the moment one is a lawbreaker, you subject yourself to that same law of cause and effect that God has delivered you from, especially from the negative aspect of it. And a beautiful picture to summarize this whole, this whole point is that man who was crippled. Jesus Christ said to him, go and sin no more. Your sins have been forgiven you. If you sin again, something worse will befall you. The grace of God appeared to remove the effects, the outcome of things that he had done in order to help him to begin to walk in the straight and narrow path. But if it so happens that that same gentleman goes back to where God removed him, then everything that God canceled out will come back upon him. It's not as if, it's not as if, okay, let's put it like this. It's not as if that, oh, God canceled out your debt and you now go and sin again and God brings the debt back on you. No, what happens is that you by yourself create fresh debt. He has canceled the debt, he has canceled it. He has paid your, 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 your creditors. But you by yourself, have gone to now collect and borrow new money again that you can't pay. Do you guys get what I'm saying? 
because of the sinful nature. You create brand new debt for yourself. Let me tell you guys a mystery. Let me tell you guys a mystery. As of the time Jesus Christ entered into the world, the world was steeped in profound darkness. Deep, deep, deep darkness. Not just in Israel, but all around. Because first of all, that was a time where Alexander the Great and Babylon were world powers. People who were governed by evil were ruling the world. Darkness had pervaded the land. And of course, where there is thick darkness in the land, it is very hard for light to come out. That's why in the time of Jesus Christ, when he was born, before then, there was not any prophet that was born in almost 400 years. Because the karma of sin and evil in a land is the eradication of lights that will deliver you. And I'm saying this for us to understand that for a prophet to appear in a land where there is darkness, to warn them, that in itself is grace. Because based on what you have done, you don't actually deserve anyone to warn you of impending doom. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Do you guys get what I'm saying? You don't deserve it. What you deserve is whatever outcome comes your way. When God sent Jonah to Nineveh, that was grace. Warning them that, listen, these things that you people are doing is going to lead to your destruction. Fortunately for them, they used that grace rightly and repented. And that impending doom was canceled. Whenever there is darkness in a land, people are in severe debt. They don't deserve a light to come to pay for them. And it's in those very moments that grace actually steps in to a people or for a people who don't deserve any goodness. It appears and helps to clear their debt. Jesus Christ entered a world that was deep in spiritual debt. So deep that lights were not coming out anymore. And of course, when there are no light, when there's darkness, evil pervades the whole land. Wickedness, brother treating brother the wrong way, son treating father and mother the wrong way, greed, vanity moves across the land and everyone experiences the bitter consequences of their actions. Nothing in the world at that time was going to support the cultivation of goodness. Just like in a prison. It's such a dark place that in that place it's so hard for light to come out. So hard because the darkness is so thick, the negativity is so thick, it's so hard for light to come out. So Jesus Christ entered the world. And what we don't understand, again, I said it's a mystery, right? I mean, it's not something that is publicly or openly spoken about. I'm speaking about Jesus Christ now, the man of Galilee. I'm not speaking of the spirit of Christ, which are two different things. I'm speaking about that particular man, Jesus of Galilee, that individual, that historical person, not the spirit of Christ, because the spirit of Christ always does the same thing. It always comes to pay off the debt of debtors. Abraham had the spirit of Christ. He came to pay the debt of debtors. Moses had the spirit of Christ. He came to pay the debt of debtors. Elijah had it. David had it. Are you, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Wherever the spirit of Christ enters, it brings salvation. 
right? So when Moses brought salvation, that was Christ. As he was about to cross the river, the Red Sea, he said to them, do not be afraid, for today you shall see the salvation of God. In Hebrew, that word there is written Yeshua. Today you shall see the Yeshua of God. Moses was a manifestation of Christ. Albeit a lesser manifestation of Jesus of Galilee, he, however, was a manifestation of Christ. Noah was a manifestation of Christ. Because Christ, before Abraham was, I am. Meaning that he's older. That spirit of Christ is older than that flesh and blood personality he came as 2,000 years ago. Nevertheless, that flesh and blood personality came to achieve a particular work. And he, as an individual, came to pay the karma of the whole planet. I want us to really reflect this. You don't understand how deep that is. Some people, as you are here now, some of us here, God has raised you in your family to pay the karma of just your family, just five people, and you are struggling. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Do you guys get what I'm saying? Some people, God raised them to pay the karma for a particular denomination. Some people for a whole country. Do you understand? He came to pay the karma of a whole planet. A whole planet, billions of people. I want you to think about how wealthy he must have been to be able to pay the debt of a whole planet by his coming. That tells you the value of his blood is beyond gold and silver. It is very deep. It is very deep. His blood, that man, that particular man, to tell you what he as an individual attained, he was able to pay the debt of a whole planet. But what we don't realize, he came to pay the debt of everything that happened before him. Do you get what I'm saying? He came, that's that man individually, not the spirit of Christ, because the spirit of Christ always comes to pay debt in every generation. Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? In every generation, it always appears to pay debt and release people from poverty. Right? Just Christ said, the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel and bring liberation to those who are captive and so on and so forth. The spirit of Christ always comes to set the captives free and liberate them from spiritual bondage and poverty. Right? But that particular man came to bring salvation to the whole planet for everything that was done in the past. And that's why after he left in a land where prophets were not rising, all of a sudden, light started to come from all parts of the world. Something that wasn't happening for so long. Indeed, Esther, man owed an inconceivable debt. Jesus as a man had more than enough to pay for all the debt of all man. He was indeed very wealthy, absolutely. Yes, it's exactly the parable, the, uh, the seven that owed 10,000 talents, exactly. That seven that owed 10,000 talents is actually humanity. 10,000 talents is a lot of money, bro. <laughs> that's, that's, in like, that's in like trillions of dollars. 10,000 talents, that's like trillions of dollars. You know, he as an individual had enough money to pay Remember I gave you I gave a, 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 an illustration last week 
for the last session. God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their debt, right? What they had done, the evil they had done had earned them destruction. And Abraham asked God, if there are 50 righteous men in that land, will you destroy it? He said, no. Why? Because 50 righteous men can cancel out the debt of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, if there are 40, will you destroy it? He said, no. Because if there are 40 righteous men, they are able to cancel out the debt of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, if there are 20, he said, no. If there are 10, meaning 10 righteous men were enough to cancel out the whole debt of Sodom and Gomorrah and change the narrative of that country. It was like having five dangotis in your village. How can, <laughs> what depth do you have? Do you, guys, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like having five dangotis in your small village. Who can be poor? They have to be cleared for sure, for sure, for sure. Not only that, because it's not just about claiming debt. God doesn't just appear to clear debt. He also comes to kill that nature that creates debt, right? Because if you help someone in debt, you don't, you, you don't just want to free them from debt. You want to free them from that propensity that, that pushes them to enter debt in the first place. True or false? True or false? True or false? I guess exactly, Hunaya, beautiful. You see, I love what you just said, Hunaya. It shows that you're really understanding what's being said. They provide employment. They give you a job, a work to do. Follow me. And in following them, you begin to earn what? Money. Are you guys seeing what I'm talking about? You begin to earn money, spiritual credits in your bank account. Before you were broke, you were bankrupt. Your account was in red. Now, God cleared the deficit from your account, and now he has given you a job, a work to carry out that will begin to earn you money. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. But if you look at the world today now, you see, I want to ask you a question. When you look at the world today, has the world used Jesus Christ's grace well or not? Has he used his grace well? Has the world used his grace well or not? I'm talking about that man of Galilee, what he individually did for the world. I'm not talking about the spirit of Christ, because the spirit of Christ still appears. But that particular man, I'm trying to let you understand the gravity of that man who attained a name higher than every other name, that man, the world wasted his philanthropy. They wasted his charity. And when we look at the evil in the world today, what he was trying to save us from is very clear. We're heading straight there. Do you understand? Because the outcome of destruction is what he wanted to save us from. But we're heading there. As a matter of fact, how do you see how the world has been progressing in evil? Just Christ said to the twin cities of, of, um, of um, Tyre and Sidon, or I think Sidon and Bethsaida, he said, Woe unto you, Sidon. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the works that was done in you was done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they will have been around up till this day. If the works that were done in you, that is the message he preached in their land, the miracles he performed in their land, he's saying, if he did that, 
in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and they would still be alive. Meaning that as bad as we say Sodom and Gomorrah is, Sodom and Gomorrah was actually learning work. <laughs> Where Sidon and beside are where? Do you guys get what I'm saying? Sodom and Gomorrah was learning work. Their evil was learning work. Where Sidon and Bethsaida were. Now, let me tell you something. Sidon and Bethsaida, they have not even started school compared to where Vegas, Las Vegas, New York, Paris, Dubai, where they are. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? The evils that are openly carried out in Paris, New York, London, Las Vegas, these were things that were inconceivable in that time. Inconceivable. Inconceivable that a woman is famous, world famous and very rich for having sex on camera. <laughs> Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys following me? Are you following me? In that era, it was inconceivable. Even 150 years ago, it was inconceivable. I'm sure you guys have watched historical movies now, like when you watch movies that show of England 200 years ago, not saying rubbish wasn't happening, but it wasn't celebrated. As a woman or as a man, you do like this. It's not something that is celebrated. Do you guys get my point? People did it in secret. It wasn't open. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Do you guys hear me? These are not things that were done publicly. It was in, in, in secret. Because if you do it openly, people will reject you. Immediately. I watched this movie of Elvis Presley about his life. Will you believe that as of the 1960s, they were upset that a man would be on TV and is moving his waist. They thought it was the most, the highest form of corruption for the for, for the upcoming generation in the 1960s. That they wanted to cancel him from television because of moving his waist. They were not ready for Usher Raymond and Trey Songs. <laughs> and it's the uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only they could see what was coming. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? The world is far worse now than it was in the time of Jesus. What he paid, that's that individual man, what he paid, and like, like I said, I'm telling you a mystery. What that individual man paid for the world, then for their debts. Let's say as of the time Jesus Christ came, the world was in two trillion debts. As of now, the world is in 10 trillion. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? I'm speaking of the man, Jesus. What he paid by himself has been expunged long ago. Even after he came, didn't the world enter into dark ages after he came, where the whole world was dark? Do you understand? Do you understand? Because the one who begins to perpetuate sin 
revokes the grace of God, cancels it out, and renders it to naught. Because grace is about economics. God is the first economics in all the first economist in all existence. In all existence, God is the first economist. And everything is like an accounting system. Everything is like an accounting system. So we come to God, Father, forgive me for what you did in the past. Let's say he forgives you and he stops you from experiencing the fruit of your evil labor in the past. But that nature inside of you that did that work yesterday is still alive and is still perpetrating the evil today. Will God forgive you? I'm asking. Will God forgive you? I'm asking. Will God forgive you? Are we afraid to speak? No? Do you think what I'm saying is unscriptural? Do you think it's unscriptural? Is anyone feeling like, oh my goodness, is this scriptural? Is anyone feeling that way? Someone bring that scripture when Jesus Christ said, anyone who does not forgive their, the sins of their neighbor, God will never forgive them. Someone bring, someone bring that scripture. <laughs> These are the words of Jesus himself. Someone bring that scripture. He said, the one who does not forgive the sins of the neighbor, God will not forgive him. To tell you that, as much as God's grace is free, it actually has conditions. It has conditions. God's forgiveness has conditions. It is dependent on certain things. It's not just one way. It has to do with also what we do as well. Because someone posed the scripture. Indeed. Matthew 6, verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Your father will not forgive your sins. Your father will not forgive your sins. This is not what Paul said. This is not Peter talking. This is not John talking. This is not James talking. This is Jesus himself saying, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Because where the carnal nature exists in perpetuity, grace is rejected. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Where the will of the flesh is continually performed, grace is continually rejected. And you with your own hands and legs have ejected yourself from God's grace. From God's grace. Because that nature inside of yourself or inside of ourselves that committed many crimes in the past, we have not allowed it to be put to death. It is still alive and it is still committing crimes and it is still putting us in debt. 
And believe me, you will pay it. Believe me, you will pay it until that old man is dead. Because what separates you from the law is death. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? If I say the forgiveness of God, that is the complete forgiveness of God, is not a one-day thing, but a journey. Would you understand it? Would you understand it if I said it like that? That when God says, I forgive you, is actually a journey that takes years to complete. Because the forgiveness of God is perfected when the carnal nature is destroyed. So long as the carnal nature is still present and active, God's forgiveness cannot be perfected. Do you understand? It can't be, it can't be perfected. Because to forgive is to cancel out a debt. What if you keep creating debt? How can the forgiveness ever be complete? Do you guys get what I'm saying? How would you feel? You have someone who is in debt. Oh, ah, Jumoke. Ah, hey, I'm owing 200,000 naira. Ah, Jumoke, help me, please, help me, please, please, please. Don't let them take me away. Jumoke, please help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Then they carry me go away. I don't know. <laughs> and then Jumoke comes and carries 200,000 and gives you, say, okay, take so that they don't carry you where you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> huh? she takes that money she goes to pay the creditors she now goes again and borrows money again hey Jumoke 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 ah, they won't carry me go I don't know 250,000 will you answer such a person I'm asking would you give that person money again Will you give that person money again? You can't give them any money. Are you guys getting my point? Will you give them money? I'm asking people. Will you give, will you give that person money? I'm asking. No. You'll be, you'll be out of your mind to give them money. As a matter of fact, if you give them money, you yourself will become complicit to their crime because you're not helping them to do evil. God would never be an accomplice to evil. So it gets to a point where helping someone by giving them what they're asking is actually joining them to, joining them to commit a crime. And in that moment, the best way to help them is to not give them what they're asking, but give them what they don't know they need to ask, and which is a re-education. A re-education. And sometimes for a re-education to happen, there's that place where what you really need is to face everything that you have projected out of yourself. But this is where the conversation will not take a much deeper turn. And at least it will really make us think a lot now. <laughs>